Detroit is Different is where you get information, artistry, history, music, and even comedy. Detroit is Different, a home for the culture of Detroit. Visit online at DetroitIsDifferent.com today. Welcome back to the Detroit is Different podcast studios. And we keeping things rolling as we always do around this time of the season. But, you know, we take dips and everything. And today I have a guest that I've known since the 90s. That old, <laughs> going back to the 90s. She may not want to admit it, but we came I'm up in school it. together, and uh, more so than school. Uh, bright, always uh, with ideas, uh, definitely done some connections uh, with organizing, with uh, creativity, uh, working with artists, um, just all around cool. Miss Rainita Glover, how are you today? Pretty good, pretty good. Okay, okay. Yeah, I'm excited uh, to be here. All right. Well, definitely you're a person that has supported Detroit is different in vision, thought process for a while. Always. Um, and moving beyond that, you, you just got an interesting story. And I know you're one of those <laughs> people that like um, that that kind of balks at the whole concept. Like, ah, oh, these people ain't going to be caring about my story. But those are the best stories for Detroit is different. The stories okay. that a lot of times people don't want to share because those are interesting. Okay. Right. I, I'm I'm trusted in the process. That's that's what I could say. I'm here. Thank you for the beautiful introduction, for sure. Okay. Like, thank you for the credits. I love giving people their flowers. You've always been pretty dope. And, like, again, 90s, yes, I don't mind admitting it, but, <laughs> yeah, high school. Now, when I say that, I mean, it was, like, the end. The so very like, end. That's what I'm going to say. I'm like, like yeah, let's precaution like, that with, you like know, 98. <laughs> Yeah. Per se, but yeah. Yeah, it wasn't, uh, we didn't have um, high top fades and cross colors. You know, I don't know. You know Not in high school. That. It was more yeah. like FUBU and um, Iceberg. <laughs> oh my God, yes. Yeah, that that is very nostalgic. That's yeah. clothing for, for some of the older <laughs> folks. That, uh, at one time that was, and then I guess now we can say younger folks, because younger folks wouldn't know that either. Um, no, they do. They have, now their throwbacks are what we were wearing to, like, high school. Remember we used to do those, like, throwback days? Mm-hmm. So now they're wearing the stuff that was, like, late 90s. Like, well, doing I all of that. I, I yeah. will buy, I will wear some, <laughs> I, I will wear an iceberg sweater if I buy one. <laughs> So. <laughs> Good luck. <laughs> Good luck. So with that being said, um, so much usual Detroit is different story. Because um, mm-hmm. right now all people know is that we know each other. But yeah. uh, other than that, family. Uh, what brought your family to the city of Detroit? What What's the story behind your people being here? Uh, so I'll just go back to grandparents so maternal grandparents, they're from Douglas, Georgia, so kind of backwoods a little bit, like really, really small town. Mm, I would say maybe like two hours outside of Atlanta. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, um, they came here for work mostly, of course, like most people, I think, uh, with families came for auto industry, things like that. So uh, they came here, I think, probably in the uh, early 50s. Yeah, early 50s. My paternal grandparents came here from Tennessee. Um, And again, just to explore, I think, more like job opportunities at that time. So that's where that's where they came from in in the States. (laughs) Okay, so whereabouts in Tennessee? Uh, Nashville area. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So a large city in Mm -hmm. 
Douglas, Georgia. Um, what what were the what was the conditions? Did they even share anything like um, where they were? How they how yeah. it was? Mm-hmm. So my great aunt Nolly, she um, had a a firm, and that's where my grandfather worked. So um, my grandmother and grandfather that Wait, time out. So your so you have like I guess your like your great great aunt was that like yes. did she hire her brother? Basically, no. That so, was like her nephew. Yes, that she hired to work on the farm, and the farm was lucrative enough in producing food and being a business where she was able to hire your grandfather. I don't know if it was necessarily hire. It was you gonna work this. <laughs> you gonna work these well, fields. <laughs> he was, well, he worked and and they provided something like where yeah. it made sense. But he wanted more opportunity, and yes. that's what brought him this way. Yes. But at one point in time, he was there working on the farm as like kind of. From what I know. Okay. Yeah, from what I know, to my knowledge, he worked on the farm. So, um, uh, both of them have uh, or had. Um, like middle school education, hmm. um, maybe maybe some high school, but mm-hmm. maybe not too much. I don't think either one of them graduated from high school. Mm-hmm. Um, I think ninth grade maximum, I think, for my grandmother. Um, but my grandfather, definitely middle school. So, so with it, I'm just still getting into, like, definitely that business of farming as yeah. we think about agriculture. Yeah. And, um, you know, oftentimes, like, when we look at even public schools itself. Um, yeah. Public schools are a good provided to American citizens, quote unquote, as a public good, because at one point in time, America was looking to transition this agricultural class of employees to an industrial class Mm -hmm. of employees. So as so the way public school is packaged is like, you know, we care about the babies, we care about the kids. But in reality, it was like. We need to occupy your time. Carnegie, it was like, <laughs> yo, we need to turn yeah. this person that's great in farming into a worker that can, can read do it instructions for me. Yeah. <laughs> and work in a, you know, work in this plant. You yeah. Know, producing Factory steel, or, yeah. oil, cars, plastics, whatever. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? So it's like that kind of was the shift. So, yeah. So a common place, sure. but your, your grandfather had those skills, at least in working in that farm. How massive was the farm? Um, I don't think it was that big from what I can recall. It was, it's, it's very sizable. It was definitely acres of land, but, um, yeah, for a young person, when you look out at everything in that space, it's just like, it's nothing here. Like you come, you bring in the city kids down to Douglas and it's like, it's one main street and like a community center slash everybody's school yeah. <laughs> and it's not it's not a whole lot. So where her home sat, it was like the only home in that space. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I don't I don't know exactly how much in terms of acres, but it, it seemed pretty, pretty large. It wasn't like I don't think it was like so massive or like where it wasn't like manageable at at that point. At that time, nobody was like really farming or any doing anything else like that on the land. It was just there at that point. By the time, you know, we came down there for like a family reunion, like back in the 90s uh, or late 90s. Yeah, it wasn't really it wasn't really much to it. And and I ask these questions just because I'm looking from the lens of the way media Mm -hmm. depicts history. Mm-hmm. Um, especially when we think about the dynamics between 
um, opportunity for black folks, especially black women. So Mm -hmm. to know that it was a black woman operating a farm in Georgia, and I'm guessing this is around the time of, I don't know the age of your grandfather, but I'm guessing this is probably around the time, like, is this post-World War II or? Post-World War II. So post-World War II, maybe like during the Korean War conflict. So we're looking at this during like a New Deal era, but she was Actually, yeah, no, I don't know, wait. Yeah, it might have been a little bit like directly during World War Two. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So even more. Yeah. So when we think of the framework, as you know, when I look at a lot of media, it's always like these, you know, um, these stories of it was a lot of black women that understood uh, the inner workings of property. Mm-hmm. Um and business mm-hmm. and how things happen. I, I don't know, like you know, like uh, the the lady that settled L.A. You know, most of L.A. was owned by a black woman. Hmm. Um, you know, so I hear these stories and I always think, like, you know, how how outside of the norm yeah. was that story? And even like I had a story not too long ago yeah. from uh, MC John Cloud that was talking about like land that his great great grandmother owned. And like their family yeah. has. So when I think about women in business, especially yeah. the way things are framed nowadays, you watch a movie you're back then and, you know, it's like some, you know, bigoted redneck. Like, yeah. I'm not buying nothing from no colored woman, you know, yeah. what I'm or something like that. When in reality, maybe the ecosystem of some of those societies actually had to rely more on yeah. um, women like, I guess that would be like your great, great aunt. Right. Make things happen. And even her husband, I never knew him, but Mm -hmm. you know what I'm saying? Like, he was already deceased, I think, when I was born. So I never knew him, but um, he's part of that story too, in in, in some Mm -hmm. way. And my grandmother, you know, from her being raised in in that, that environment as well, like, all of them were very close, right? Like, everybody in that town knew each other. So either by relation or. Um, just just being family and familiar, right? Like, it's not like okay, yeah, like my grandmother and grandfather were cousins, no, <laughs> but they were, you know, they all knew each other. Like they, it was all kind of very close knit. And and I I also find it unique as mm-hmm. I mean, if anybody know, and um, God forbid, it's just a part of life. Dealing with death is tough. Yeah. Um, especially being a woman dealing with death back then, my whole interpretation mm-hmm. would be like, you know, the court just wouldn't even honor it. The court would just like take that, come up with some goofy probate laws, and just give it to, mm-hmm. you know what I'm saying, like. I don't know, the biggest, you know, uh, Colonel Sanders or something, like some white dude or something. Yeah. So to know that um, that would be honored, I think, also shows the dynamics of the relationship. Not saying that uh, racism wasn't real, because we obviously recognize mm-hmm. that racism was real in the South then, now, yep. in the North, West, East, yeah. wherever you want to go. It's existing in a part of the fabric of America, but... Through that fabric, it's mm-hmm. also some very dynamic, um, some dynamic acts led by our people. So yeah, I think it's like it's it's stories of resilience. I think what I when I think of it, it's like how we came through a lot of what we came through. Like to be in a certain space, like. Um, I know when I was younger, it it came out that my grandmother didn't have a birth certificate. Like, she had no knowledge of, like, her actual birthday or Mm -hmm. year even. She was going off of my grandfather's year of birth. She was like, well, I know I'm I'm at least 
uh, a year younger than him. Mm-hmm. Or she was like, I may have been born the same year or I may be younger than him. So it, I was either born in 32 or 33. Mm-hmm. And I was like, how don't you have a birth certificate? Like that didn't make sense to me at the time. But from where she was from, that just it was not something that existed. And then that was still part of the the struggle of like having access. Right. Like the accessibility, not just from being in a small town, but to healthcare, to even like legal documentation of your birth, of you existing is was a little bit different down there, too. So and, and I, I definitely we're, we're leaning way <laughs> sooner into a conversation I was going to have. that yeah. I definitely was going to bring up in this podcast, but. Black women in American medicine have yeah. had a very, um, well, really, I guess you could say black and put any group of people mm-hmm. and then America and then the ending being a very tumultuous relationship. Um, oh, very much so. But yeah. especially back then. So I could easily see like the doulas um, being more present and being needed mm-hmm. for uh, birthing children, trusting in birthing children, mm-hmm. just because... Of things like, you know, I, I mean, people always bring up the Tuskegee experiment, which is so weird because mm-hmm. oftentimes when you look at the Tuskegee experiment, it only was the only reason we know about the Tuskegee experiment is because the few people that spoke up like, yo, this is wrong. And yeah. that went on for decades. Mm-hmm. So it only like knowing how this country gets down, I'd be surprised if it wasn't a, a, a Morehouse experiment, a Spelman experiment, a, a, a Alabama State experiment, yeah. a Grambling. You know what I'm saying? Our, this, America rarely Essex, says, let's just try this yeah. one time to this specific group of people to see what happens. But black women in medicine for a long time, even to today, are like, um, and right now, in like books like Medical Apartheid, you, you read more about it. Yeah, I was just like, going to say, like, if you've never read the book, uh, med- the Medical Apartheid book, that would be interesting. Because then you see the dynamics of ethical, like the l- levels of what one may have perceived to be ethical mm-hmm. and experimentation where we've had to come and say, like, Somebody got to put a handle on this. <laughs> like, yeah. you cannot do these things. Like, some things you thought were for the greater good were not. They were for your own selfish benefit or for the selfish benefit of those investigators or people who were looking to explore whatever thought or idea, whether it was behavioral research or physical research. All of those things had to be modified or looked at and just kind of exposed. Like, you wouldn't have known that there was different behavioral research with kids that were that was, you know, done in a very un ethical way like who would do something bad to kids yeah it's actually happening i mean mean, when we think about it and this is grotesque and it's one of those things that you all can google or youtube i mean the whole i guess what do we want to say like the science or, or medical field of gynecology is a direct result of a lot of these sick white men yes Running experiment. experiment after experiment after experiment on enslaved black women. Yes. Like that's just it, it's, it's how we how we know the anatomy of the female uterus and things like that came from that level of experimentation where it was done very brutally for sure. Like without anesthesia, all of those things. of, And I think it still kind of translates to some of the things that, you know, some black women have experienced today or a lot of black women have experienced in maternal health as well. Um, I mean, even well, in other health issues, too, I mean, like most, pain level yeah. and things like that are not taken as seriously for black women. Um, yeah. I mean, when you look at like the 
when you look at the levels of of like damn near any illness and who's high on that chart. Yeah. It's like it's shocking to see the amount of black women on these charts that for are very disproportionate. Yeah. That are like out of anywhere. Like my mom, when she passed away with a brain aneurysm. Mm-hmm. And this is what's so funny. Um, she passed away of a brain aneurysm and then yeah. you find out more about it and it's like, right. well, you can have a brain, you can have an aneurysm in your brain. You can be born that way and it can exist for forever mm-hmm. unless you run the right test and, mm-hmm. and all of that. And mm-hmm. and this is a Malik Yakini thing, which I stand by too. I think American medicine is great for testing things, but you definitely need to explore all options when you're mm-hmm. thinking about uh, prevention and cure. You know, yeah. I don't necessarily know if our medical industry is the best with that just because it is so connected to a profit generation model which curing something is not profitable you know mm-hmm. so that's a that's Carrie Fraser that's a Carrie right. Fraser I'm like in some in some instances but I I agree in in you some know, instances I, and I'm speaking in, in a yeah, broad I'm speaking with a broad broadly, brush yeah. and generalization yeah. that like yes you know for the most part it's understood you know yeah. what I mean as 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 you know you think that you think that the fifty cents characters in the in the power series are drug dealers. The real drug dealers. Mm. You know. Yeah. You know what I'm saying. So here we go. As yeah. we're into that, I, I was gonna say like in falling on deaf ears. And I think mm-hmm. some of this may be just like a and I may be the naivete, just mm-hmm. a lack of cultural understanding and what could be shared. So I could easily see around the time when I guess your great grandmother was was giving birth to your grandmother, mm-hmm. her saying like, mm, we got the hospital. I can drive into town, drive all the way over to like Atlanta or like a big city. And I don't know how they're going to treat me. Or we have this doula that's in the community and we going to go we going to go through the birth in this way versus uh, I don't know what's happening over at that hospital. What yeah. they going to put in me or I don't know, you know. Yeah, I think so even with that I think a lot of what what comes out now, I think present day is not just about accessibility anymore because we know we have a problem with access and equity, right? Like being equitable across the board. What I think is the bigger thing to really even explore too and breaking into the system a little bit is to see what is being told to this person versus this person. And it may not be malicious intent from the physician or PA or MP or anything else like that. It's about understanding the environment and understanding the different factors that kind of come into play. But are you really giving the same information across the board? Because if I went to another doc, if I went to the same doctor as, let's say, um, Asian woman or white woman or whatever, are we getting told the same thing? If we're coming in with the same Mm -hmm. complaint, right? Like, do you get the same level of treatment in terms of like how that that condition is assessed, right? Like if we're breaking it down for piece by piece, I think for black women, it's more of being more vigilant about being your own advocate. And it's it's hard to say because you're like, okay, you're trusting that these people would do those things. But if you don't ask certain questions, you probably won't get all of those answers. So I've gone through things where, like, even coming from 
that background that is very difficult navigating the healthcare system. You don't know it until you're actually in it as the patient, right? So you're really trying to better understand what's going on, but the whole time you're worried about yourself, right? Like that's, I think that's human, right? Like you're worried about your own yourself and your outcome. So you may not have all of the questions right off and it takes other people to kind of help you come up with those questions too. Like if you don't let anybody into what's going on with you, then no one would ever be able to really kind of help you navigate that. And I think a lot of times people go through things so silently and quietly, whether it's breast cancer, whatever it is Mm -hmm. that, um, you miss out on some information or you miss out on some levels of access because you're not in the space where you can actually think about the right questions. And again, it's it's not the onus of the patient always just to, you know, know the right questions to ask that is on your provider as well to be able to provide that just like openly give me all of this, this upfront. Right. So then I can take it back, digest it, learn what I need to do and go forward from there and make more of an informed decision. Um, But sometimes when you're in certain spaces like primary care, for instance, like if this is if this would have already been known, for instance, even with your mom, like if that would have already been known, how would I have navigated my own life at that point? Knowing what I know now and what advice I've been given, what do I need to do? What level of intervention do I need to take? And it could be different for everyone, but it's still about making more of an informed or impactful decision for yourself, too. If that makes sense, you know. No, I I feel what you're saying. Mm-hmm. Like I, I think the industry itself is it, yeah. tough. Um, so you have, well, I guess it's it's layers to it. So it's like you have the physicians, yes, nurses, like people that are, interact with you. Mm-hmm. Then you have hospitals, which hospitals are businesses. Yes. So this business, even though in the field of medicine, is still functioning like here we go, classic business term, like it's selling widgets, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. Um, like a lot of, like during, during COVID-19, when, you know, people were like, wow, it's a lot of attention in the medical industry now. And then hospitals were like, I think we're going to end up going out of business. And then people yeah. like, you know, from the outside, <laughs> you're thinking to yourself like, damn, how are they going out of business when they can't turn enough people away? Mm-hmm. And then it's like, okay, the business of hospitals is a lot of their money is made in what they label as elective surgery, elective procedures. And then it's like, okay, who the hell is electing to have a procedure? And I mean, I know for everybody watching now, they probably in like yeah. chat saying BBLs. Okay, all right. <laughs> That's, uh, you know, or for people that don't, Brazilian butt lifts, which yeah. is like, I guess, the, 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 making a woman's derriere, it could be a man too, larger. Um, mm-hmm. And that's an elective procedure, but right. I don't think it's like making up, you know, fake breasts and, and that, you know, cosmetic surgery is making up such a bulk. I think a lot is still yeah. like something being a, an elective procedure. It's a lot that goes into elective procedures. Mm-hmm. And a lot of times when you're offered like what can be an elective procedure and you agree into it as a person has done a lot of dental work, you're trusting whoever that physician is that's giving you this advice. Yeah. And then after you go through the advice, then you come to like, all right, how much is this going to cost me? And then mm-hmm. after you go through, I'm just going through my steps and mm-hmm. I assume. And then after how much is this going to cost me, what's the timetable of like, you know, if I don't do it, 
what could happen and what I won't. So I can tell you from a lot of the dental elective procedures I've done, usually the elective procedure is like, I suggest doing this because Mm -hmm. if you don't do this now, then in about three years, it's not going to be an elective option on the table for you. And that's what I was just going to say. Like, so elective procedures aren't just like cosmetic always. Yeah. So that's anything that you could, that you have to opt yourself into this. That's your level of intervention for your treatment. Mm -hmm. Uh, versus an emergent procedure, whereas you come in in an emergent and you your case pretty much supersedes any other case in surgery for that that time frame. So your elective meaning that you your case could be bumped off of that schedule <laughs> if need be, right? Like mm-hmm. you're not gonna die if you don't get these. Um, I don't know a root you, canal. Right. You're not going to that's not going to cause imminent harm to you in this moment, whether if it's today or tomorrow or next week. Mm -hmm. You know, what I'm saying like those are the things where it's just like, okay, If it is something that in that business span of like for elective procedures, all of those things, it's a lot of people who still need that level of intervention. And that's how they get they it's it's a lot of different ways hospitals make money off of incentives, off of insurance, all of those things, all of those things combined. Mm-hmm. And there's another factor of what, you know, what is considered federal money as well, too. And that breaks down into a different level of how uh, payers are assessed and all of those things, like how how they can bill all of that is gone through whatever regulation of, you know, federal guidelines. Right. So. If all of those things are the case, what you're coming to the table with is, hey, I have this insurance, right? Like it should be able to be used. I should be able to be treated the same as everybody else. And, you know, like nothing is going to crumble around. Like even with COVID-19, all of those things, like everybody's like, okay, well, let's, you know, let's stop. We got to stop and see like that. That put a real like wrench in the system, right? Like that caused a big wrench in the system. I think a lot of things got exposed through that, that time period too right like not just medically Mm -hmm. socially everything like it 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 made people I think take a greater pause and say like yeah it's a lot it's a lot of messed up stuff out here (laughs) like I think this is not working yeah like in the steps so like as a person that like I can tell people like a lot of dental stuff I can probably go through and tell you the steps so like elective getting a filling if you don't get a filling, you're going to end up needing a root canal. Right. You don't get a root canal, what's going to end up happening is they're going to need to pull your tooth. Right. If they pull your tooth and you don't get another tooth, depending upon where it's at, it's going to realign and reconfigure how your teeth fit. Right. If it realigns and reconfigures where your teeth fit, you're going to probably end up with needing fillings and root canals for more teeth. If yeah. you need fillings and root canals for more teeth, eventually that's going to get to the gums. When right. it gets to the gums, now it's getting to emergent procedure because right. now you possibly could end up in a position where where it sounds crazy. You can't eat, you can't swallow. Can't eat, swallow, could possibly die. Yeah. You know, because it's going to end up impacting your heart eventually. So those are like the steps of whatever. Fresh floss. Mm -hmm. Do that. Do that. I'm I'm (laughs) speaking from a, I'm speaking from a, uh, you know, one day I'm going to make a, I'm going to make a fun for people in their 20s to to get dental stuff. 
because yeah, yeah I, I completely looked at the dentist as an entrepreneur like Psh, I ain't going and then like y'all don't need to go to the dentist no you need te- to go every six yeah. months like they say yeah, like you know, tooth pain it tooth pain is not uh, it's not fun it's no joke I understand mm-hmm. I understand yeah yes. like you 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 don't want to have those things happen but again everyone. What we can pay attention to and what we have accessibility to could be totally different. It's some people who really they don't have dental insurance, so I don't have three hundred dollars to go pay you out of pocket to get my teeth clean. So, like, how do we do? How do we help that? I mean, and those yeah. are that that's part of the the challenge. Yeah. Of um, uh, some societal challenges. Yeah. Because that leads to, especially like you know, as people get older, like teeth become a bigger. Thing, oh yeah, you know what I'm saying like that's one of that's one of my top fears, like losing my teeth. If I fall, I'm grabbing my mouth <laughs> right away. Like oh, I don't, okay. uh, I don't like losing teeth or the thought of like tooth decay and all that other stuff. Like very mm. frightening. Oh yeah, yeah, very. I got, got bridge, got implant. I can some people I can go through the whole. Yeah, I can tell you the procedure for a lot mm-hmm. of that stuff. So like and right now I'm going through something else on the same, you know, one of the implants I had like mm-hmm. uh, a thread snap. So now I got to get another implant. So yeah. the implant so people know what ends up happening is basically it's a and it's going to sound crazy, but <laughs> <laughs> it's a screw that's being put inside your jawbone. Yeah. So like they're going inside. So they're cutting past gum. Mm-hmm. Cutting past gum and then past gum, they got to go in. So now, yeah. because they got to put another one in, they got to go deeper than they went before. So it'll be a larger yep. screw. And the whole process of that, it takes some time because obviously your jaw has to reheal. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm going to be 40 this year. So that yep. means that it takes a little bit more time in the healing process than the first time, even though that was just a couple more years. And then they have to make sure that obviously it's aligned correctly this time. Yeah. Um, you know, and then you have the option of here is something classic. I mean, anesthesia. Anesthesia becomes a a, a larger risk at an older age. Yep. Um, you know, now they have like that half anesthesia, which makes me think it was crazy back when I got anesthesia when I was like, you know, in high school. Because yeah. certain things, you know, med- medicine has helped because anesthesia is very dangerous. It is. You know. It is. You know. And it's so many different effects from, like, even receiving anesthesia. Like, just the little things, like your hair come out. <laughs> Stuff like that. Like well, you know, my hair is already. I'm just <laughs> <laughs> like your hair, your hair going to come out. You never know. Like I'm going to get my lineup back. Yeah. I'm calling Leon immediately. Like, guess what? I'm coming to the barbershop, Leon. I'm so, coming to the barbershop. Like, guess what? I'm back. Exactly. Exactly. So we, we went deeper into medical. I didn't yeah. even go into the right? classic. Um you know what neighborhood? Where did your uh, Where did your people come when they when they moved here? East side. Where at? Uh, Mac and Harding and Shoemaker area. Okay. Like so, yeah, between Shoemaker, over there. Okay. French Road. Yeah. So basically, a uh, 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 quintessential like like adjacent, as they say, to like the heartbeat of where a lot of folks move. Yes. Uh, when they come up here, yep. up this way. Yeah. You know, so so and Tennessee they, is rare. Yeah. Georgia, it's a lot of it's, it's a lot yeah. of Georgia black folk in Detroit. Yeah. Tennessee, not as much. You know, yeah. most of them people go to Chicago. Yeah. Um, so, and ironically, from those two places, I wouldn't be sitting here because my mom and dad met on Harding. 
Mm. They stayed across the street from each other. Ain't that some? Mm-hmm. Okay, so now we're going to get into that. <laughs> Did your dad always like your mom? Was it like uh, Urkel yes. and Laura? <laughs> yes. Let, not let, calling your dad Urkel, but you know what I mean. Like, I guess no, what's a better... Yeah, no. What's a, who, who else is like our TV uh, sitcom I, I'm with? I don't know. I, I kind of, sort of. Like, so my uncles. So I have tons of uncles. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, how neighborhood is. Like... Mm-hmm. All of their friends, and those are my uncles, right? Like, and my biological uncles. So, like, my uncles told me the story of how uh, every time they would go outside or, like, it was some type of activity on the block or whatever, or they sitting out on the porch, my dad would tell them, like, nah, uh uh-uh, I'm going to sit next to Eleanor. <laughs> like, like, pretty much back up off my woman. <laughs> Okay, so even at an <laughs> like, early like, don't do it. So that's so. When did they actually start? Okay, so if he, Uh-oh. when did they start actually? Like, I guess dating. Or I wouldn't be able to tell you exactly what age. I forget what they said. They but they were teenagers. So basically, they were high like school, they're uh, they're one of those stories. Like they that's really like a uh, like what's that that that, that John Mellencamp song? They like Jack and Diane for real. Like they <laughs> <laughs> they got together. From like teenage, yeah, stayed together, family. That's yep. that's unique. Mm-hmm. That's unique, and then that's so that's that's so unique. Build they together, can't even run together. stories like back in the day. I used to, and it's like I knew you back in the day, right? Like we we know what I happened. know every story. I was there of, of your life, so <laughs> we were don't there. even try to pull that. You right. know what I'm saying? Like you know. we were all there, but yeah, no, my uncles. I think they they love to kind of like you know. Messing around with my dad with that one, like, nah, he been wanting Joe Mama. <laughs> That's funny. That's funny. <laughs> like he already stated his claim. Everybody knew. Mm-hmm. If anything involved Eleanor or Lois, make sure make sure George get the seat next to her. <laughs> mm-hmm. That's cool. That's cool. So what uh, what did your dad do? What's your mom? Uh, they're both retired now. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, my dad retired from the post office, and my mom retired from uh, Blue Cross. Okay, let's go dad first. Yeah. Was he a, a mailman or did he work like in the back or Everything. something like that? Everything. So he, he started off in the military hmm. and then... Um, what uh, what division? Army. Okay. U.S. Army. Um, so he he did his, his time in the military and uh, they stayed in Texas. Uh, no, this okay. is post-Vietnam. Okay, post Vietnam, yeah. and definitely before, and he never got called to no, Desert Storm. No, or Desert Storm. I'm about to say, like that. by that time, he was already out. Okay. He was already out. He was out in, uh, I think, either by 79. But America stay in conflict. Nicaragua, yeah. <laughs> uh, America, America fight. You know yes. what I'm saying? So that's what America so, does. So, yeah, that was around the time my, my sister was born, and uh, they were stationed in Texas, and my mom just didn't want to stay, I don't think. And Whereabouts? San Antonio? Uh, I do not know for certain, to be honest mm-hmm. with you. I think, um, I think it was Dallas area, Dallas Fort okay. Worth area, but not in the city. Like it was one okay. of the like bases somewhere off from there, but my mom didn't want to stay. Um, she was like, I need, I need to come back. She wanted to be with her family and, uh, she ended up coming back. My dad stayed in, in the military for a little while long cause he was stationed overseas. And then he ended up, Where when he at? came back, uh, Germany. Okay. Okay. Yeah, so uh he came back and So your dad was in your dad was in Germany before the wall fell then. Yes. Okay. Like like yeah. 
Mm, yeah, late 70s. So that yeah. means that he probably definitely has some interesting stories about that because, I mean, just yes. what I hear about what that wall and the transfer of going yeah. from even from, shout out to King High School again, <laughs> Frau Ellis even talking about that wall, you know what I'm saying? Like, that yes. was an interesting yeah, he had. I mean, he I don't some, know. If he, no, he has some really know. interesting stories. Like you can get him going sometimes. Like mm-hmm. he w- he would talk about like you know, you know, in certain situations where it was like pitch black and like they'll call out something and like whatever they're doing, they're like just shooting off their guns into like the darkness now because they're like, mm-hmm. okay, something's happening, something's going down. We gotta you know react, I guess. But yeah, no, he he has he has stories. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he has stories for days. I will say, but. Yeah. So from there, they come back to the D. Yes. Still on the east side? Yes. Okay. East side dwellers all our lives. That's, okay. I mean, that's what we knew. So, um, like, just even moving around with my parents, uh, we stayed uh, by Denby on Hazel Ridge and then mm-hmm. eventually moved to Lakewood and Warren area um, and then uh, Mackinac Drive area. Okay. Yeah, so... Yeah, the gradual come up of, of what of what we could consider a come up like that was a progression there. Like, you gonna not <laughs> if like you this, had to come in in those phases, you, you not, know. You like, like this East Side joke, it's like you finally got grass. <laughs> we made it, okay? We made it. I got grass now. <laughs> wow. No, they 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 definitely like worked really really hard. Um, like. It could have been a lot different for for all of us. It's mm-hmm. it's three of us, and they worked really hard. They they were focused on their family. They knew their mission, and I that's what I appreciate about my parents. They knew their mission, and they stuck. To, they they stayed on mission. So right now they have their you know their snowbirds. They go down to Florida. Okay. They stay half the year in Florida. Where come about? back here and stay. Fort Myers. Okay. Oh man. So it, where where was their yeah. property straight? There's a straight. They okay. they're not for Myers Beach or like downtown or anything okay. like that. They're like closer to the airport, but okay. still really nice area. It wasn't, you know, thank God a whole lot of damage there. But for those mm. people who did, it was very, it's very very devastating. Like mm-hmm. the whole like whole homes wiped away. Like you can imagine, like with most hurricanes and the, the devastation that comes from that. But yeah, so they made it. That's all. I say that to say, you know, they stayed on mission. They stayed in the space of knowing what what they wanted, and you know, although there may have been some compromises throughout the way, mm-hmm. they they made it happen, and they did what they needed to do, and they, you know, I think they knew the family that they wanted to cultivate. So, being a product of that, I'm very proud. And that's unique, as I'm in similar. My parents uh, before my mom passed, they yeah. were together, you know, thirty plus years yeah. so what and it was weird because my friends would always be like damn this is unique to just see mm-hmm. that interaction and that and that you know it was yeah. like we was we was like the cosby's in the middle of the hood it was, right. like, it was the cosby's in the in, middle of good times happening <laughs> right you know so what was that like for you i think it's very similar like i think even when we were in high school i think people thought that i commuted from west bloomfield i was like okay like why would you think that Mm-hmm. And I I think it was, I don't know, just exposure to different things. Um, my mom had a, she had a thing. She's like, you're not going to sit in my house over the summer. You better pick an activity. If you don't pick an activity, you going to summer school. Mm-hmm. And that was it. Like, you're not going to sit up and lay up in her house all day, every day. Absolutely not. Mm-hmm. Like, I think, yeah, I don't know. I don't know what it what it was 
in particular, but I do know like that experience was like, yeah, everybody looked like, okay, your your parents still together, they marry, y'all y'all all live together. Like that was not so much of a foreign concept, but like you said, like it was like Cosby, like I'm like, my daddy worked for the post like I'm like, we making it, but it didn't seem so like it was, it was that it extravagant was as two, people. Two, seven. Exactly. <laughs> like <laughs> for when you're in it, it doesn't seem as though it is as extravagant as mm-hmm. um what people may perceive. I think that's what it is. Like your perception of it from the outside looking in, and I can understand that. Because it comes from a, a space of, like, lack, right? Like, you may have only had one parent, whether it was your mom or your dad, or um, and you didn't have all of those other things and being able to do all those other activities and do all of that stuff because time didn't permit or finances didn't permit. Whereas I still seen financial struggle through my parents, but it was just different. They had each other. They had support. So it wasn't as, I don't think it may have been the same as someone who's seen other financial struggles with a single mother or a single father. You know mm-hmm. what I'm saying? Those things, you know, could look very different. And and outlook, I don't know. You know what I'm saying? Like the, the reality is I think the resilience comes from the individual because it was a lot of people who had some of the same things that we had with both parents and a little bit more accessibility per se, but they wanted to do other things. Like they wanted to be in that space of lack. They wanted to be like the hood or dope boy, whatever you want to call it. Like you wanted to do all of those things, but it's just like, Oh, well you really could have not have done that. You didn't need to do that. It wasn't necessary. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. I I definitely from my perspective, from when we lived, we lived in this neighborhood until yeah. I was about 13. Then we moved, as you say, on up to Russell Woods, which right. is, a, uh, as I say, a better community. Right. Um, and the kids over there were definitely way more, do I want to say, especially boys, like, I'm going to say dangerous mm-hmm. from the perspective yeah. of I felt that, you know, especially being a black man, you know, young black boy, you have a lot of pressure being hard. It's like a yeah, definition right. of like, of your self-worth. You yeah. know, it's like, okay, I'm not going to be the smartest person. Plus, the smartest person, it's not like psh, they expect me to be smart. Not like the smart guy get girls. Psh, forget that guy. <laughs> uh, if I'm not a pro, if I'm not a great athlete, what can, oh, I can be the toughest guy. Right. You know, I can, you know, I figure out respect. a way yeah, yeah. and maneuver and just bully people and be tough, right? You know, or be funny, or but like the focus of definitely being hard was, you know, and those guys like when you're trying to prove you're hard, yeah. I think that's a lot more dangerous than people that like really grew up in dire circumstances, right? Because over here, it was more like a, you know, like a a thing of, you know, it, it was. It was just different, like mm-hmm. nothing to prove. It was just like a part of the functionality of life, interacting yeah. with people that, you know what I'm saying, like where you, it's already understood that like, yo, because mom and dad are struggling with crack addiction. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. like the arc of what's going on in right. this presence of like, you know, how this is going to happen is different than like, you know, my dad is like a a a, a I guess like a, a lead foreman at you know yeah. for for Ford, Ford and my yeah. mom is a principal at this middle school. You mm-hmm. know what I'm saying? But you know I'm still you know what I'm saying. 
I'm it still as gangster right. as my <laughs> man's, where it's like, mm, not really, you know? Yeah, you yeah. You have a different perspective. It's a different it. perspective because you had a different level of understanding and you had different conversations mm-hmm. in your own household, in your environment, in your own space. You had different conversations. Now, I will say the culture shock to be even from the east side, moving through the east side, is all of those different places and stations and neighborhoods that my parents moved us to were completely different. By the time we made it to Mackinada Drive, where it's like, oh, it's, you know, really nice neighborhood. Like you said, we got grass and it's green. (laughs) And you know what I'm saying? Like Mm -hmm. they got shrubbery, not bushes. Mm -hmm. They got all of these things. (laughs) 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 They got haberdashery over here. And you know what I'm saying? Like it looks nice when you ride down the street, right? Mm -hmm. So that, I would say the culture shock there was not just the setting. It was... Like you said, the kids. So the kids started to change. Mm. So whereas we bring in this Lakewood and Warren attitude of like, okay, we're about to go outside and we're about to play. We're about to do this, do this, mm. do this. Like we ride our bikes from, you know, sun up to street lights on. Yeah. That wasn't the case. That wasn't, you know mm-hmm. what I'm saying? Like, we got our neighbors across the street. They playing soccer in the front yard. We like, what they doing? <laughs> you know mm-hmm. what I'm saying? What are they doing? Yeah. You know, like, we got our roller skates. We like, okay, let's roller skate up the block. We going to go mm-hmm. meet some other kids and find yeah, some other kids. Brought, and they looking at you, you brought, like, you the ghetto kid. <laughs> you done brought out alligator slip and slide. Like, damn, they done, they done lowered my property <laughs> values with this alligator slip and slide. <laughs> Go give that family some free tickets to Four Bears Water Park. But we did have other families in the neighborhood <laughs> that was the same. So it made it a little bit easier sometimes. Like, it, mm-hmm. the integration into that space was was a little bit different, I will say. That's all. I mean, it, was, mm-hmm. it was good, but it was also being able to see, like, Black people are not just a monolith. Like, what we see, the things that we've seen from whatever age, being young, like, mm, some of that you may not, not supposed to see. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, it's a lot of people who have captured those moments and living in different neighborhoods, whether or not you were sheltered or not. Like, some of those things, it's just like, oh, some of this you're really not supposed to see or you're not supposed to experience, but it happened. And it it's part of your story. It's part of your development. Like, Whatever it is, like you see, you know, the crackheads, you see all of these things, like the actions of those people around you, you're like, why are they doing that? But then, you know, do you really <laughs> do you really know their story? Do you know mm-hmm. what happened and what transitioned and, them into that? And that's where I kind of push back in the sense of, you know, and it's so weird because I spent so much of my life rapping at mm-hmm. one point in time mm-hmm. and loving hip hop. But it's like. That story does need to be told. It just needs like context. Very usually. much so. So like, like it was so unique. I was I was at like this one school in the North End, and the kids was like, "Yeah, you know what I'm saying." They were talking about just the way to look at a person's hands and tell what type of drug they're on. And I'm like, "This is some wild." That's very wild. A wild discussion, <laughs> but it's unique. But it's almost like a defense mechanism because if you're gonna if you're gonna stay in these communities, mm-hmm. it's certain teachable lessons that are needed like the culture shock of leaving king or getting kicked out of king and then ending up at northwestern it was such a different world 
Yeah. Because when I was at King, I was in, like you, in the MSAT program. Math, yeah. science, applied technology. And I don't know why in the hell I was there. Maybe my cousin <laughs> wrote me or something. I should have been in the uh, business program all day. But whatever, I'm there. And yeah. then you go to, like, a more traditional high school mm-hmm. in the hood. And it's just, like, a whole nother, like, vibe. Because, like, at King, I was more of, like, a... The MSAT, I guess you would label me as like, I guess like a bad kid, quote unquote. And then I remember mm. getting into Northwestern, uh, the the first day, you know, it was two starking things that stood out to me. Mm-hmm. One, it was a fight. Nobody watched it. Like it was so few fights at King that, you know, you watched every fight at King. Like it was yeah, like yeah. a boxing match or something. Right. Um, and then the second thing, my last class of the day, while the teacher was in the back, uh, my radio TV class, so the person that gave me, Mr. Kutula gave me a lot of game. Mm-hmm. But while he was in the back showing people how to like run the editing board or whatever, mm-hmm. the kids were talking because it was so close to the first of the month. It, it was like five dudes just talking about different ways on like how you cut crack. You know what I'm saying? And mm-hmm. I'm like, this is, I'm like, okay, they, they just joking. And then like two of them was like, all right, let me show you. And then they broke out their razors and they're cutting crack in the class. And I'm like, this is a different type of high school experience because this would have never happened at King, even for the most yeah. thug kid in MSAT. <laughs> this ain't happening in like, MSAT. What are you doing, fam? You know what I'm saying? Well, not even what are you doing. It would have been this, like a, what are you this? doing? Somebody, some a, a kid in the class would have told other kids, the parents would have known, <laughs> you'd have got suspended. You know what I'm saying? It would have been a whole uh, 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 talk by uh, Miss Printup or something and people <laughs> at the school saying like, hey, we don't do this type of stuff in yeah, MSAT. Yeah, yeah. What's going on? Yeah. Northwestern, it was like, hey, no, nah, you know what I'm saying? My razor technique is to shave. You go straight <laughs> down. You know what I'm saying? If you cut, I was like, damn, this is like, they're like, breaking down the science of it and this is one of those weird things where it's like okay it's more opportunities in life than selling crack yeah with that being said if this is the only opportunity you see this may be one of them lessons you you know a distorted Mm -hmm. space where like you can kind of take the street facade off Mm -hmm. sort of and interact and engage and this is what we interact and engage about yeah it was unique I was like, damn, this is crazy. That's mad crazy. I I don't know. Yeah, to even see it, I would have been like, what what are what are you doing? <laughs> like this that wouldn't that wouldn't have registered to me. Like even being in spaces where I've seen like crackheads and stuff like that, like that still wouldn't have registered to me in in, in school. Like you said, like it would have been like, yeah, we in school. What are you doing? <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, it, yeah, it was like. uh Okay, I'm gonna just sit and keep writing some raps while <laughs> why ear hustle this lesson. Mind my business. Of like, yeah, yeah, I'm gonna ear hustle this. Like, you know what I'm, I'm saying? Mind like, my business know, here. I mean, if 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 anything, I know I assume you know Big Joe may have the money if he ever needed to borrow a dollar from me. I'd probably be able to get it back. You know what I'm saying? But this was this in this, you know. So I, I do think that for young people, the context of some of this. Is mm-hmm. it's missing because, you know, especially through hip hop, hip hop paints a story of even when they paint it from a defeat perspective, mm-hmm. it's not as real as like I've seen it in the neighborhoods I've been in. When you see addiction up close and like you said, even for kids, like I think that's another space of I know everyone is, you know, really hyper-focused on mental health and things like that. And that is, you know, something that needs to definitely be addressed too. But that that level of trauma, I think, is 
I think that sometimes even contributes to some physical, you know, like ailments and things like that. Like you don't know how to process some of these things that you've seen, right? Like if you think back to like the neighborhoods and the crackheads that you know, like think about some of the stuff that you've seen them do. I mean, I think that the like, addiction, <laughs> the way, like, yeah, it's, it's, I do think it definitely has a direct impact on, like, mentally. And then even in other ways, even me personally, just being an American, it's, I've accepted and rationalized so many behaviors that probably shouldn't be just because violence See, itself you, you have already been, adapted your mind yes, I've to conditioned just, you, you're conditioned to, like, to letting things be and it's like that is not okay like, that is like, not normal like here's classic you know what i'm saying it's like hey man person x got shot mm-hmm. i don't think i think like man that's messed up he got shot but i'm also thinking what did he do? What did, see? <laughs> so this is like I'm justifying the violent act you already. Like I a have a stuff okay. It's it. it's like it's like it's like a box of like oh these are things to kill people for or and, and maybe not me but the and then these are things that the what streets may kill do? you for. You <laughs> know what Joe I'm saying? Joe run his mouth. Did Joe yeah, do these? Yeah. Did Joe do? Joe came yeah. out of pocket. Like you you don't know. It's but a context. Of, it's a context. Like yes. we need to know more because I'm not yeah. gonna pass judgment right now yeah. because I don't know enough. Yeah. What did Joe do? Yeah. And then and it's that, like, oh. Again, it's okay. like you don't give the benefit of the doubt of like, okay, Joe was not supposed to be healed for whatever reason. No. Like you it don't matter what Joe mm-hmm. said. It's like why would you have to die for that? But then in context of what we know and what we've experienced and through like neighborhood stuff or whatever you know that clicks right like that goes back to your mind of like dang what happened like here's a classic (laughs) one and this is this is so like you know you tell this story to like uh when i say white because i'm speaking more culturally because it's black people that grow up in certain environments Mm -hmm. so you're black in skin, but culturally, your understanding and conditioning is different because totally you grew up in a different space. Right. And you obviously, being black in that space, you grow up differently than the white people, but you still adopt some of their conditioning. So when I was like 12, um, we were robbed. Uh, me, my homeboy had on some brand new Jordans. We got mm-hmm. robbed for our bikes. We got robbed for his Jordans. We got yeah. robbed... And I want to say it was like maybe a block away from the uh, that like the twelfth precinct, the precinct right there on Livernoy. Like like the it police officer probably looking at you like, well, what you gonna do? Because we not and, <laughs> and then going home, we walked to the police station mm-hmm. in socks. <laughs> you know, I had, I don't even know why they yeah. took. I just had like some shacks or something when he was with Reebok, and then uh-huh. um and. And we're sitting there, and we're like, okay, we're going to tell the police. And then the mm-hmm. police like, y'all got to tell y'all parents. We tell our parents, get in trouble. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> and you're laughing, but yeah, stuff like this That's what it was, though. Because the first thing your parents ask is, where what? were you? Not, damn, that's messed up. In my, my, uh, now, are you okay? <laughs> yeah, are you okay? Uh, where was you at? <laughs> yeah, where was you at? Where was you at that you had to get your bike stolen? Like, I think that was part of like the experience. Even growing, like, if you ain't get your bike stolen, like, like ran from you right then and there, like, come up off them bikes, fam. Like, yeah, okay, and then we, we was, yeah, we was like, we was face to face on Livernoy where we never got the pistol at us, but we got mm-hmm. the like brandish, like the butt of the gun. Yeah, could have been a BB gun, could have been a thirty eight. Who knows? Mm-hmm. We wasn't trying to figure out. We yeah. kids. You know what I'm saying? Right. We like, hey, have at We're it. little kids. And it was, we riding, and I can tell you what it was. And see, even me, I'm conditioned to be like, okay, we was riding through alleys. 
Yeah. It was, it's not many gangs in Detroit, but we rode through past the folks' garage. Okay. And it's like, oh, they, they, I guess they asking to be robbed. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. But in it, that whole process of like, damn, we going to get in trouble for this. Whereas I know culturally it's other mm-hmm. parents that would never even tie two and two together. They're like, oh, you're a kid. You wanna, it's the summer. You want to ride your bike through an alley? Ride your bike through an alley. Mm-hmm. In reality, hell no. Nah. You need to stick to thoroughfares, mm-hmm. and then also if exactly, you like, walk or ride through an alley. Even you need while to you telling this story, when you said you was riding a bike through the alley, I'm yeah. in my head like, "Yeah, what you doing riding through a damn alley? Why? <laughs> because we kids and we do. But sometimes, even in that kid nature, you yeah. test boundaries. Yes. that you shouldn't. Yeah. So, like for me, it was about safety because I knew where we was at. Mm-hmm. Still got bikes stolen on one occasion, like, while me and my brother riding bikes. But we're, you know, going to cousins' houses. That was, like, for me, like, that was a pinnacle, like, being in the, on the east side. Like, everybody stayed not, that was freedom. It was yeah. liberation. And everybody stayed not too far away from each other. And your parents weren't scared to, like, let you mm-hmm. loose a little bit. Like, you had a pretty long leash. As long as you knew, they knew that you were around your family or people that they knew and they, you know, I know their parents, I know who this is, or I know where they stay. It was more about, like, can I get to you when I need to? And I know, you know, generally where y'all going to be at, right? Like, where where are you going to be? Well, really, it's that. Yeah, the, <laughs> the classic black uh, the classic black decision of, the, you know, them kids. It's like, you either inside or outside. outside. In or out. Like, mm. In or oh, out. Damn, and I, I do. I and do. then come I knock on that, come try to, <laughs> try to grab that da- that dang on door handle at four o'clock. You chose out. <laughs> so that means street lights ain't on. You got more playing to do. You chose out. It's like, damn. That means I'm about to be bothered with you right now. You're not about to come in here and ask me for nothing. Don't ask me for no sandwich, no drink, no nothing. Get it from the hose. Yeah. <laughs> That's yeah. it. That's what you knew. Yeah. So all of those things combined, you like, dang, yeah. What you were thinking was you were testing your boundaries. This is my assessment, right? Like, because we knew we weren't about to ride through no alleys like that. We know we on the street. We we would do. But like you said, like, boys may be different, whatever it is. Boys. You knew you were testing your boundaries. Boys do dumb stuff all the time. I think that's just a part of boyhood. You know what I'm saying? Like, some of the the stuff I look at even to this day, like, hey, why did I do that? Like, it don't even make no sense. It it made no sense. But, boys, I mean, but in the same sense of like conditioning how communities you know mm-hmm. you start understanding and you start picking up certain game right of you know how things function like we don't go over there we know what's over there we just don't go over there you yeah, know what I'm saying? We or if we happen there. to have or we're in a position where we mm-hmm. are locked into that space we know how to turn that switch on and you know we got to change it up. My mind got to be a little bit different. I got to move a little different. I got to look differently. You know what I'm saying? I got to yeah. I got to be in this space to know, like, okay, something got to change. Yeah, like, I need to be able to move past this block without yeah. anybody really recognizing, but then still recognize, but like, honor, I'm not right. Yeah, like, I, w- I was canvassing this summer when we did yeah. all those town hall meetings, so we were in a lot of communities. Yeah. So, like, I was, we did, were in a lot of communities, so it's interesting because with the two college interns from Bridge to Trey. Shout out Bridge to Trey. Yeah. Uh, that were walking with me. They were like, man, you sometimes walk in the middle of the street and da 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 I'm like, yeah, because it's like I can see activity and I know this is an abandoned house. So what I do is like, I'm not going to, it's like if I can, it's like you you time it, mm-hmm. you time the walk to the middle of the street at around the time where it's like right. not so 
it's not so right obvious. in front, <laughs> yeah. but enough in front. Yeah. And then if it seems a little bit like, eh, then I immediately go to yeah. the other side. And then if I'm on the other side even mm-hmm. further, then it's like I'm already making progressions of like, okay, I may need to move this way. I may right. need to say something. If I need to say something, I acknowledge That's this it. Right. way. You yeah. know what I'm saying? If I've committed to walking in this store. Right. I'm not trying to be, to be invisible, but I know what I need to do yeah. to, to navigate this space. Right. Like yeah. I know what I need to do to make it across to this other side. Mm-hmm. And that's all. You yeah. know what I'm saying? I'm not trying to be invisible. I know I'm in this space. Maybe it may not be a space of mm-hmm. belonging or whatever you want to call it. But it's still a space that I know I need to navigate through real quick. And if I have to, I'm going to do it. Like mm-hmm. I, I use that same level of awareness even when I've traveled, like I've traveled a lot going around to different, you know, countries and different p- places and spaces or whatever. But it's like, OK, I know when it changed. Yeah. <laughs> like I know something changed. And I know even as a tourist, I'm not in a tourist space per se right now, but it's a little different. And it's not like I have to be on hyper alert or, w- or awareness. Some of the places. Yes. But. It was still like, okay, dang, this is this is that that feeling that you know you need to navigate yeah. a little differently. It's not about being invisible or trying mm-hmm. to look a certain way or trying to be this. It's just, all right, I gotta, I have to. My mind has to switch to a different level of navigation. I'm not so much looking around like, oh, and all like, oh, this is nice, this is nice. Let me get to where I got to go. <laughs> yeah, and, and, and it it can happen. Like, I mean, yeah. it, immediately, but still, it's like we've been conditioned to yeah. accept the fact that like. Violence exists. Crime exists. Yeah. Um, you know, it, it, as sad as it is, uh, like racism exists. Like mm-hmm. some of these truths, you know, as much as I don't want to accept it, I know I've been conditioned to accept. Yeah. Hence the the race comes into play, play for black folks a lot. Yeah. Like, you know, it's like, hey, I had a job interview today. All right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the lady was cool. Was she white? You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. It's like, damn, why did that even matter? And it's like, it do matter. It matters. You know what I'm saying? So, like, that'll be a yeah. common question from all levels of black folk. Yeah. Like, you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Like, damn, you just had a job interview. I mean, you know what I'm saying? It's like, nah, she black, but you can tell she ain't black black. And it's like, what did that mean for a person? <laughs> but for we us, know. we know. We know exactly. It's like, oh, I, I got I got exactly where you coming from. You say know less. Yeah. <laughs> That's all it is. You know like, say she, less. He white, but he cool as hell. And it's like, oh, I know what that means. You know what I'm saying? Say less. Or he cool with this. You know, and it's like, okay. But then I it's understand. still like you, you still take a certain level of precaution still too, right? Like Most it's definitely. still like that same switch that goes off. Like I still have to be aware in, in this space. I still have to do this or I still have to do that. But I always say like, even, even now, like being in, in those spaces of like corporate and all that other stuff, like you trying to go back and forth or navigate how you want to speak and talk and act and do all that other stuff. Just, it's more simple to be yourself. You don't have to code switch it. Like, you could just... We, 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 we talked, talked about, about this. this. Like, and you ain't got to do it. You ain't got to do all of that. Let's just, lean into that. And I guess you in that... You ain't got to do all that. Because you work in the corporate space, but also, like, reconnecting post-high school, because I, I just... We, we, yeah. we there now. But post-high school, we reconnect... Uh, obviously, well-educated, mm-hmm. uh, 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 matriculated through, mm-hmm. beyond... Mm-hmm. And what, what college you go to? I went to Bowling Green. Okay, you like it there? Did I like Bowling Green? Mm-hmm. Uh, no, not at okay. the time. No. Okay. No, it was it, not. It it I liked it for what it it taught me in both at like an academic space and a social space too. But 
as far as just the institution itself, um, it left some things to be desired. And I know a lot of things have changed since I've left. Okay. Um, when I went there, it was very, um, I think it was like 5%, you know, black in terms yeah. of student populace. And it's a very, it's a small town. So mm-hmm. the majority of the town is the school. Yeah. Yeah. So. So. So Bowling Green, Wayne mm-hmm. State, we reconnect on like a creative project. And I'm like, wow, this is interesting. And then it's like, I didn't even know you were going to be there. Mm-hmm. You know, and then I'm like, I know Ray from back in the day. Like, yeah. what up, though? Yeah, and then yeah. the like creativity was, mm-hmm. was you were working in this space of creativity so much. And then from there, reconnect again. And I'm like, oh, you're more in like the corporate space now. But the mm-hmm. creativity I know is still there. Mm-hmm. Explain both. What, what were you I've doing always creatively? Been in the space too, though. Like you I've know? always, I've done both because I, I don't think you have to limit yourself to one or the other. Okay. I think what you, what you do and how you express yourself, like you don't have to just be one. You, you can be a lawyer and an artist, or a lawyer and a, you know, whatever. Like mm-hmm. however you need to express yourself. It's so many different pieces and so many different, you know ways of being and dynamic to you as a person when you're self-aware and I don't think I've even had that level of self-awareness at that time but I knew I needed to still create uh, a space for myself to be expressive to be able to be supportive like I want to be able to translate all of these things whether it's from science to uh, uh, social you know or physical health or whatever it is and then also community also um, artistry, doing hair, all of those things. Like, so explain just, some. <laughs> you know, I had to do. I had to make sure I had some level of fulfillment to be able to create an outlet for myself. Whether it was a way to decompress, mm-hmm. and it still became a little bit more than that. And I was able to build into it a lot more. You lean mm-hmm. into other things more that you know give you more purpose and. Um, you know, whatever fulfillment or passion or whatever you want to say, but. I just started to lean in more to those things that just, you know, helped me to either decompress or to really express myself creatively. So what were you working on? Because, like, I'm thinking, like, 11, 12, 13, you were active in that mix. What were you guys working on? What were you working on? Uh, Through the Better Detroit Youth Movement, Mm -hmm. we were working on a lot of things with uh, youth mentoring that type of thing. So I think around the, those times I was actually really like heavy into the schools doing uh, girls groups uh, through a, a program called GLOW, Girls Leaning on Women. Um, we had a lot going on with different projects, with the art parties, all of that stuff that we were that we was doing to really try to build upon that enhancement of just giving uh, youth a different way of... Um, just understanding there's there's different levels of different things that they can do outside of just, okay, you got to go to school, you got to do these things. But if you're never exposed to, like, um, banking or whatever, like, how would you know if you don't like it? How would you know not to explore it, right? Like, you don't know about a lot of things that could help you or may have a bigger impact in your life rather than what you've naturally seen. Whereas, you know, like how we were kind of like inundated with the, you know, be a doctor, be a lawyer, be a, you know, professional athlete or whatever it was. Those were the levels of what was like, that's your success. Like you made it right. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Like 
you made it if you can do any of those things. Well, you still made it if you're the the hairstylist that's banging right now. You know what I'm saying? Like you you made it because you you're doing something that is natural to you. One, you know, you never know. That could be more natural to you than going and being a scientist, right? Like you can understand chemicals and all these other things, but then did that translate more to help you understand how to better be uh, a hair colorist rather than, you know, go work at GSK somewhere? You never know. So with that, I'm a, I got a couple questions to pose at you. While doing that, what did you learn about young people? What did you learn about the girls you were working with while doing that when you look back at it? And then also right there and then leave with how long how long were you guys doing that? How long were you doing that? Oh, uh, that was that was over the course of I think at least like five or six years. That's what I was thinking. Consecutively. So yeah. so what did you learn about girls in the young people period that during you were that time? With during that time. Uh they're very dynamic. They were very dynamic young women. And I still talk to a lot of them to this day, like like they'd still try to call me Miss Ray. I'm like, you got a whole family. Ray is fine. <laughs> like, let's, let's start there. But what I learned from them was um, their experiences weren't so different than mine, especially at the high school level. Not not so different in, in that the focus on relationships, the focus on trying to build success around them, the focus on... Um, Family issues, things that were happening in their communities directly, it wasn't it wasn't that different. But I appreciated the time that I was able to kind of share with them and kind of um, hopefully, you know, give them things that I learned that they don't necessarily have to go through. I don't think that um, having to actually deal with it personally versus someone telling you about it. Like, you don't have to experience it firsthand for you to know, like, yeah, I don't need to go that route. Or, well, I already know that this is what it is over here, so now I can explore some things over here since I already know that. Like, I don't have to go fill up my knowledge bubble over here because I've, I've already learned that. Now I can go somewhere else and try to focus my energy and find out what I want to do here. But I think, yeah, so I learned, I learned a lot from them in terms of, like, uh, like social and emotional health type of type of things like like I said with relationships the things that they were going through were not so much different than than my experiences when I was younger too so with that the next question is what while doing that what did you learn about the system of, of schools education interacting with young people programs for young people uh there was still definitely a lack like what they got from what we were coming to do and to achieve, I did not get when we were in high school. Like, it was not, like, some type of, like, girls program or outlet for it. Like, we, we just learned through talking to each other. So, where, you know, even if you wanted to know some, some things about, you know, relationships or sex or whatever it is, you talking to your your homegirls about it and they still don't know nothing either <laughs> versus like if you had somebody to kind of come in and help guide some of those conversations, it would be a little bit different, right? Like you had someone that was not partial, it's not your teacher, it's not somebody that really, you know, has any hankering on, oh, okay, you're going to judge me, right? Like, no, you can, you can kind of freely speak and it gives you, you know hopefully a different different place and space to be in. Like I said, you don't have to experience it just firsthand to know, 
that may not be what you want to do right at this moment or something that you may want to explore later on. Like, you never know. Why do you think it's so important or why do you think with that it is important for young people to have, like, I guess, um, I guess, like, another voice to get some of that advice, to get some of, I mean, I call it advice game. To get that yeah, game. To, get, to get that game. <sighs> Shoot. It's... I think it's important just because you why why not you know what I'm saying like why why not go ahead and just put it out there on the table why would I want you to shortchange you or take you on a longer route than what you really need to go you know what I'm saying or you know what I'm saying if it's not necessary why do all of those things and I think hearing it and actually doing it again two totally different things but I really think that it's it's not always necessary to actually have the firsthand experience but I think a lot of the schools definitely do need those programs to have like that outlet I think whether it's just in conversation it's a big part of like growth and development um having somebody to be able to bounce ideas off of sometimes those are always like those you know, those are those sweet spots, whether you come in and in terms of like trying to create this program and we're going to talk about this, this, this and this and this. The best part of those conversations come from outside of that, the reality of what they're dealing with in that moment. So you can be generalizing a conversation about um, relationships, but what comes from that is other traumas or other triggers that we can really talk about a little bit, right? Like, you know, you've seen certain things like you may have seen your uncle beat your auntie or something like that. Like that, that, you know, spreads a different level of conversation to say like, hey, you know, we know these things aren't right. But what does that look like or how does how did that look like before it even got to the point of like physical alteration, you know, altercation. Right. Like it helps them to kind of understand, you know, value, worth, all of those things. So, yeah. And for people watching, uh, I do want to say this from, I guess, teaching is, I don't know if I want to say, from mm -hmm. from instructing at yeah. a couple last hand schools, uh, domestic violence among in, in teenage relationships is still yeah. very is is higher than you think. And, very and much. so. It blew my mind because it's like, well, damn, you 15, you don't live with them or nothing. I mean, you volunteering. And it was. And I mean, this is my tone deafness. Yeah. But in my mind, and I assume some, if, if I consider myself a normal thinker, I assume others may be thinking along this lines too. It's like, damn, you like voluntarily walking into, you know, basically taking the bus for this dude to be going upside your head. Yeah. It's deeper than that. The, the, yeah. the, the distorted or, yeah, let's use that term. The yeah. distorted relationships that can, that can come about, mm -hmm. um, it's deep, you know, so, yeah. so it's, it's it's deeper than people were thinking. And it's very, it, it's sadly more common yeah. than and you would assume. So. It is very. So, like, even the, the healthy relationship piece, it it's certain things that I don't think translates the same. Like, you have to kind of say, like, don't let this social media stuff boost your head up. Like, this ain't really what it is. Or, like you said, like, they don't understand the levels of... Um, of steps that kind of go into that level of controlling or domestic abuse type of thing. Like I had one young lady 
um, it was a whole situation about a phone. Like he was, they had they had a phone bill together. I'm like y'all yeah. in high school and y'all have a shared phone bill. This is already problematic. <laughs> like yeah, why did you school. have yeah. a joint? You know why? Why are you? Why are you connected in this way? Like mm-hmm. y'all are you? You're trying to establish something beyond what you really need to right now. So that's already something where it's like, is this healthy? Is this healthy for you? Are y'all? You know, you're not. You're you're taking on something that you really don't need to, or you want to embellish more of a like domesticated lifestyle together while you're in high school, right? So. Phone situation is, you know, the phones are shared and then um, the the boyfriend, you know, takes the phone from her and, well, yeah, he took my phone and this is this whole story about this phone. And I'm like, baby girl, it's really not about the phone. It's about what he can get you to do for this phone at this point. Like from what you're sharing, it's about it's more it's more about the level of control that comes behind that and. Now this is something that's still going to lead to things that are progressively unhealthy. So what seems like it's just a phone is not really mm-hmm. from what was, you know what I'm saying? Like those things happen where it's just like, yeah, you didn't, you don't know that a lot of the, the kids are really kind of trying to domesticate themselves in that way. Mm-hmm. But it's like, no, you should probably think about this a little differently. Like, what to what extent would you need to have this phone with this person? And then also, too, why would you ever have to surrender something that is yours to someone else for the sake of his comfort or yeah. his questioning or something like that? Like, that's, you know what I'm saying? Like, what what is it that you want? And I... It's hard to not to say it without like sounding like you're passing judgment on them because in their mind that may be something that you know like I'm grown I pay for this I do this I do that okay <laughs> but but you're acting out so mm-hmm. so which shifts to and I want to come back to that so I'm gonna yeah. put a pin in it for a second mm-hmm. but the corporate space mm-hmm. what are you doing in corporate space because that's the creative space you were working and then concurrently in the corporate space what what's your background what are you doing. Uh, so I work in more of a scientific background. So with corporate space, it's always been in healthcare. Mm-hmm. So um, that was that's always been what's natural to me. I always said like even for uh, kids that want to go to college and they want to explore college, if that's what you know you want to do, I think a lot of times it takes a little bit more time to understand, like, like how you said with MSAT, like if you would have known what you know now, then you would have been in the business program and you wouldn't have been at MSAT, right? Like, I don't know. If it, <laughs> at that age, if a girl would have been, you know what I'm saying? If I could have got some rhythm from a fine girl, I would have been in whatever program. But thinking <laughs> was, about it in that way. I was in fine girl program. Like, right. Like, well, think about it in that what way. Is, what is this? <laughs> <laughs> But if reality, we knew yes. what we knew now, yeah. would you still do this? Would you still follow that same path? Mm-hmm. And it's a lot of people who have degrees that have done nothing with them, honestly, in terms mm-hmm. of like, are you a microbiologist or have you ever been? No. Mm-hmm. Um, but have you used what you know and applied it to how you how you wanted to navigate and explore whatever career you're going to explore? Yes. Great. Um, so with that. All that being said, I think it's about being in a space that was natural. So that's how I got into that. That was still natural for me. It wasn't like it wasn't foreign. I didn't have to study 
10,000 hours or whatever just to, you know, understand and grasp the concept of chemistry, biochem, all of that stuff. I just, I knew it because it was natural. Yeah, shout out Miss Barton. <laughs> I'm like, that, that, that was just what was natural to me. Um, and then coming out of that, it was still being able to explore creative spaces. Like even it started like even in college with like doing like poetry nights, all of that stuff, like all of those spaces kind of helped to kind of cultivate like, oh, yeah, I, I can do both. I can I, it can be dope if I'm in in both of these worlds. Right. Like I don't have to inundate myself with just, you know, the science or whatever. I can still be in a different space. And I think even the science still helps me be creative. I'm a spatial thinker. So that's what I gather even from knowing that, like, I know I'm a spatial thinker. Things like geometry or chemistry and all of those other things come natural because I'm good with spatial arrangement. So in my that's how my mind works, <laughs> you know. So those are the pieces that I really uh, kind of play off of, even when it comes to more creative things, whether it's like, you know, making something, being creative, using my hands or whatever. I'm thinking in that in that same space, but it still translates both ways. So with that being said, back to like the healthy, mm -hmm. rela like, I guess it's in, in today's culture, like healthy relationship, toxic relationship, unhealthy mm -hmm. relationship. Like it's, it's sometimes maybe the, the, the critical thinker. Yeah. You know, analyzer in me is like, what is a healthy relationship? And then furthermore, you know, I guess the the biggest relationship we'll always have is the relationship we got with ourselves. You know, For sure. so oftentimes, as they say, we're gonna attract who we are or what we are and, and where things balance. Which is some merit in that. I don't. I don't think. I don't believe in any absolute. Back to that critical thinking. Yeah. But what does that healthy relationship look like? How do you even determine what a healthy relationship is if you're if you're a teenager? I mean, it's people. People my age and older that still don't like can't that still that are not self aware <laughs> of what that is. They can definitely tell you like, okay, I don't want this. They can right. tell you, you what can they tell you don't what you, want, what you don't want, but, but they can't define what they do mm -hmm. want. Mm -hmm. What does that look like? How does a person even get to that point? Especially if you're at such a young age, being able to kind of be able to sit back and observe. Take the things in the person that at the at face value of what they are, right? Like, it's not about creating this whole list. I don't think, of, like, I want you to be this, this, and this. This person is who they are, allegedly, right? <laughs> like, this person is who they are. They hopefully, you know, both are self-aware. Both have, you know, their own compass of how they are. And they have their missions of who they want to be. And how can you bridge those two? And be in the world and do you see the world in the same way? I think that's the most, I think, biggest part of like being able to build on a healthy relationship. Not ideally, like everything doesn't have to match up with your own, you know, ideas, thoughts, values, opinions. But it should be some alignment there because how else will you be able to navigate and stay on mission and be able to grow? Right. Like from what I could see, and I'm not saying that my parents are like the perfect couple or anything like that, but I'm using that as an example to kind of bridge back into they stayed on mission. They got what they needed out of life and wanted out of life from each other. 
because they know how to stay on mission. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? They know how to cultivate and develop together. They're their own people. They're self-aware about who they are, whether their disagreements, you know, they can disagree on other things that may be trivial, but they still know how to come together. So I think your perspective on the world and outlook on how life is when you're trying to do life with someone that should be pretty closely aligned to even start in the healthy relationship space. From there on, yes, you can still ideally build with a person that, you know, they're going to build or they're going to bring out characteristics in themselves. You're like, oh, I need that. <laughs> right? Like, like this person is um, very direct. I need that. I'm not as direct. I'm not. I'm Sometimes I'm closed off and I don't know when to speak or whatever. So I need that. I need to be able to help and learn and grow from that. Right? Or, you know, those types of things. Like you said, it's not about like. I don't want this or I don't want that. It's about what do you want? How do you want to be? And who are you being for that other person too? So and, being and selfless, like it's not just about what you want or what you desire in that person. It's about are you the best person to compliment that type of person as well too? And I don't have answers to this, but I'm, I'm going to just pose this to you. Because like I say, that relationship even with self. Yeah. Because it, it, it goes back to you That's too. That's the first part. You know maybe <laughs> what you want. You know what you don't want. But you may not even know what, what you, you do want. want for you. Right. Because it's another onus of responsibility when I clearly define mm -hmm. this is what I'm after. Now yeah. it's a new level of pressure that can heighten the anxiety in who I am. Exactly. Because and you now I've, I, I'm no longer going around like, nah, not that, not that, not that, not right. that. That's weak. I've justified this, justified that. Right. But it's like, nah, now I have a target. I have a goal. I have I have a purpose. There you go. But now that comes with the anxiety of like, I must fulfill this purpose, which it's a lot of level and comfort in being unfulfilled with no purpose. It's a, it's a, it's a level of comfortability in just being. Okay. You know, and unclearly defined. Yes. Allowing on other people to make decisions. Decisions for you, yeah. For you. Mm -hmm. Uh that involve you. Right. And then like you don't you no longer have the onus of responsibility if it goes left. Exactly. And then if it goes right, then you win. You know what I'm right. saying? You get a you piece still came of up. You still come you yeah. coming up. Right. So like, I was you gonna say it. like how how do you get to, because you, you, you touched on self-awareness, and self-awareness is one of those things, I guess I look at life in the spectrum, like, it's, it's unbalanced. It's, you know, you came in, you were like, how are you doing? And I'm like, I'm all over the place, because like in some, certain things, it's up. Yeah. Certain things I wouldn't say are down, but they're not in a path where I can clearly, I, I feel trust in, okay, what's going to happen next? But right. that's the beauty of life. Mm -hmm. The beauty of life is the unexpected. You know, if I knew that, if I could read my life like a book, yeah. Every day, it wouldn't be worth living. It's the it's yeah. the it's the unexpected. Sometimes that unexpected is, you know, what do they say? It's a blessing or a lesson. I like the old, you know, yeah, the yeah, yeah. black lessons. But yeah. in reality, yo, some those lessons you don't want. But it comes in life, and then in those lessons you don't want, yeah. other understandings, appreciations, uh, are given. Yeah. You know, and that's experience. Like, can you speak to like? So, if somebody already told you that this is what's going to happen based on what you're doing right now, this current project, I no. already know mm -hmm. this is the outcome. Mm -hmm. I already know it. it. It would be tough to it would be tough to want to fulfill anything. The so would you go to that? Would you go and still do that project if you knew the outcome and the outcome was already favorable? Would you do it? See, and this is, I guess, the risk taker entrepreneur in me. I'm going to be like, let's throw some more season in that. 
if I know that this is so like you, if you I know like almost like if I know I could get a two point shot mm-hmm. off this person, let me go for three. Mm-hmm. That's you know, which I know is another level. So of I'm conditioning glad. You, so I you're have. you were willing to elevate that with a base level. Like you don't have to go through all of the growing pains. This person already said this project yields this, mm-hmm. right? This this is the outcome. Now, in your mind, you're thinking, I it's a desirable outcome. So yep. why not put more into it, right? So that's what I'm saying. Even when you're mentoring and you're doing all these things for for people, it's like. It's another step. Honor the other step. You just get to step up a little bit quicker. Mm-hmm. And, and, and that's that's the purpose. Like, and, I want you to just, I don't want you to be sitting on this one step. Mm-hmm. I've already honored that step by letting it be what it needs to be. It's done. So now we can now we can move to this next step. Like, it's still stairs to take. And then if you get to another step before I can or before I do, why not still give me the outcome and say, like, hey, okay, this is what this one is about. This is how you get over this up. And that's what's so unique about certain friendships or relationships. I'm, I'm going to speak to friendships or just any human interaction. Like, mm-hmm. the older I've gotten, like, even people themselves can remind you of, like, I know for me, I'm, I'm an associative person. So, like, yeah. people remind me of certain things. Places remind me of certain things. Mm-hmm. Um, mindsets. If I wasn't as clear I don't know if other people feel this like if I wasn't as clearly defined in where I was at, which usually is a time when my creativity is going to ooze a little bit more. It's it's like it's like I hit that wall where it's like, damn, where am I? I ain't doing nothing in my life. Right. And then it it, it, I flirt. It's like I'm I'm thinking I'm going into the lab. But if I'm connected and around at that person where like that reflection from the mirror, I'm not really fulfilled in myself. Now, who who's with me? It's kind of on this journey with me too, and 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 this is a Kari thing. I, I'm not saying yeah. everybody may feel this way, but that person's with that on that journey too. So that's why I tip my hat to yeah. the partnerships in marriage or business or friendships Absolutely. that last through the iterations of where a person can be in and life. Everybody and, has know. the right to change their mind, right? Like you yeah. have just what you describe right there, and it's no, it's not any shade or anything like that. But like you. From what I process is like, we all have a certain level of chaos sometimes. Oh, always. And as much as we want to appear, and I think that's sometimes people's goals, whether if you're not as self-aware, if you're always trying to appear as though it is one thing, you're presenting the lie so that you can help, whether it's helping you cope through what you're going through or whatever it is, but... You, if that appearance is more important than really breaking down the chaos <laughs> and really trying to like smooth things out to kind of get it to where you need to be, then I think that's what causes a lot of fracture sometimes mm. in relationships. Because I'm, I'm smiling. You, yeah. That reminds me of like now as I've gotten older, I don't know yeah. other people. You know, when you get older, this may happen to you. Past stuff in my family is starting to come up yeah. where I'm hearing stories. And I just let it be known blanketed. And it's so weird because some people in my family are different. Yeah. I'm like, yo, any of that shit that happened back in the 60s or 70s that I should, that I, that they didn't tell me then, the elders that died with that, mm-hmm. let them die with that. Mm-hmm. And some people are like, nah, I want all that info. I'm in the, leave me in the blind mix. So if you were to get married, you wouldn't want somebody to tell you 
or have an experience of marriage that can help guide you in that space, like or share sp- experiences with other married people, because then now you're you're in a similar space, right? Like, what, where would you not? Where would you learn how to be a husband if you were not around husbands? I feel what you're saying. See, what and saying? I like, agree with that. But I'm saying, like, some of my family history, like some of the ugliness yeah. in the family, I'm saying. I would rather not know. I see. So even the detrimental pieces, you don't want to know it. Yes. For me, ignorance can be bliss. I'm I'm straight up. I let people know. And and some people feel differently. You know what I'm saying? Um, You know, like anything like, you know, murder, molestation, rape, uh... You know what I'm saying? Like this person was like, you know, uh, cool and heavy or something. Like, yo, I would rather (laughs) keep... These I see what rose you're colored glasses I see of who saying. this person was. And then obviously it was elders that didn't want me to find this out. And I didn't find out then. I don't want any context okay. of recharacterizing my uh any of my, Your any uncle, of my elders, whoever. my uncles, yeah. aunties, or whatever. Keep yeah. me in the dark in certain ways okay. on certain That's things. Interesting. Now I bring that to this point because it's fair, but it's interesting. Because yeah. I, I think often in that whole world of like reflection and justification. And then as you say, it's about us. I mean, this device itself, like social media more so now, and, mm-hmm. and I'm sure more and more uh, as mental health, quote unquote, is being, I think, marketed yeah, more so to people. Yeah. But it has to bother people. We're social creatures. We compare ourselves to others. We're looking. And mm-hmm. even me personally, you're not going to get... Cardi Frazier waking up as soon as I wake up out the bed. Right. You know, uh, hey, I'm getting at it. Picture. You're going to get my my best offerings in pictures and photos. Right. If I shift, then this is the conditioning of people. If I woke up and started doing that, I'm going to probably start getting phone calls from people like, yo, man, everything okay? (laughs) Are you You okay? And it's like, no, that was just me waking up. But that goes back to representation. Like, you're trying to fit everything into the lie. Yeah. An image that I have, you know, LinkedIn, Kari, Instagram, Kari, Facebook, Kari. All different, all different. Yeah. Speaking of different, different layers versus like just Kari Friday, I'm not doing nothing is a different Kari. You know, even this interaction, like sometimes Mm -hmm. like it's like, man, you could talk for hours. It's like, yeah, I like conversation and communication. I'm very extroverted. But then at times I do get shut down and I'm not really wanting to say nothing to nobody. Mm -hmm. And people be like, you straight? Which would be hard to imagine. I'm straight. (laughs) I know it's hard to imagine. But at times, especially like women I've dated be like, damn, you be acting like you don't want to talk no more. And it's like, I got to be in the frame of mind for this. Hence. That's kind of this goes back to the whole leave me in the dark on certain stuff, Mm -hmm. because now that it's in the light, it's going to cause a response. Mm -hmm. It's going to cause a response. You know, like one of the biggest questions. And then I even stopped myself. My great grandmother um, was in this house, my grandmother's house, because this was my grandmother's house. Mm -hmm. But they had it was like seven kids. And of the seven kids, I got a great uncle that was Ohio's first black judge. Mm -hmm. I got a great uncle that was like a lead administrator at like this public school in. um, In. um, In Chicago, I got a great aunt that was like a hell of a teacher in in Chicago. Mm -hmm. I got my grandma going through. Uh, like I say, you find out more about history. It, yeah. it was an interesting 
relationship my grandma and granddad had. You know what I'm yeah. saying? Um, but the great grandmother moved here. And then we also had a great uncle, uh, a great uncle that was a like uh, lead, um, a lead manager in one of the four body plants when it was up in Flint. Like it was people in our family that had more resources for mm-hmm. my great grandmother. But my great grandmother stayed with my grandma. Which and I'm like, why if these other family members mm-hmm. had more resources, would she come stay in the hood with my grandma? Mm. To the point where it's like a little house behind this house where people always say, what's up with that? That was my great-grandmother's house. So my great-uncles built a house for For... my great-grandmother because my grandmother requested it. And I'm thinking to myself, like, in her name, obviously, a lot of people know this, Mother Deer. Mm -hmm. It's like, because she was always bossing people around. But I'm thinking to myself, like, how did she have the juice to boss people around like that? I just don't see my sister calling me saying, hey. We won't build a house out here for dad, and he gonna stay out here in California now. And I'm gonna be like, "What are you talking about?" You know what I'm saying? Like <laughs> they don't I make them like response. they used to. Like you, right? You were like, "Ah, come on now, fam. I'm not gonna build a house right now." <laughs> I'm gonna be like, first off, if he gonna stay with somebody, he might as well stay with me. Throw me some paper, and we'll right. get him straight. You know what I'm saying? But are you gonna go out there with the hammer and the drill and start no. building? No, I don't. I don't see that reality. So it was a question I always had, and it's like these other questions that pop up. But I'm like, okay, obviously it's more context to this story. Probably context that in reality, guess what? That needs to pass away with whatever was going on at the time. But that goes back to what we were talking about earlier, I feel like. Joe got shot. Yeah. <laughs> but now we know, we we start to try to rationalize and conceptualize that level of trauma, knowing yeah. that it just should not have happened. Mm-hmm. So, i.e., Uncle Joe shouldn't have raped my little cousin, but people want to rationalize, well, my little cousin was hot in the pants and she was going around here acting all thotty and trotty, whatever. Mm -hmm. No, like, you know what I'm saying? Like, when you're saying that, what I'm hearing and how I process it is like, okay, I don't want to know because it's going to cause some level of action that's needed. Mm -hmm. Here's the thing. What I have experienced through... Not my family, but even pseudo family. Mm-hmm. Things that keep getting swept underneath the rug. You may put that that rug back down like, oh, we over that. We out that shit. <laughs> like, we're done. We don't have to unveil it anymore. Next thing you know, you got all these mounds on the rug. How can you walk? <laughs> How I can mean- you walk when you don't? Actually, take the time to sweep that shit from underneath that rug. <laughs> like, we got to air this out because this can't keep, this cannot continue to build up because we're going to have nowhere to walk in a minute. Like, Okay, and I do think that there are certain things. But yeah. I do think when a person dies, uh-huh. some of, some things die with that person. I think that's mind. still, yeah. But especially like if it's generations deep if it's current yeah we got to address it come on bring it on what happened what happened like we have a response but like i don't know where where did that come from though like don't speak ill of the dead is that something like biblical i don't or know is it something I, like just parable i'm asking because it's i want to know like i don't know if they were um i don't care you did okay like like you, even, what are you gonna come back and do like right now it's a it's a movement and i want to say dr umar johnson is leading it saying like look don't vote unless they arrest old girl that um you know lied on emma till she needs to be arrested that old she ought to be like a 95 year old white woman now the white lady that lied on emma till i forget okay. her name, Catherine, whatever so 
right now. I, I know who you're talking about, but I'm I was processing my face was processing the don't vote the until. Of it. <laughs> I mean, because his process his process is like Democrats don't stand up for black people. But I mean, we can't get into the yeah, science of say, Umar yeah, Johnson. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. let's get into the science of just her in that case and what the deal. Now, me personally, yeah. that's one of those things where it's like, okay. That's the type of family secret. If I was one of those white people in that family, you know, I usually I'm not dating. I don't date white women. But mm. like, let's say in the alternate universe, I'm, I, my 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 girlfriend, that's her great grandma. She's a descendant of her. Yeah. OK. Now I got to deal with the truth that it's like, damn, this is a tough truth. Like where your great grandmother needs to step up and do something. You know what I'm saying? Like, your great-grandmother must respond to this. Mm-hmm. But the minute she dies, my girlfriend now, I don't know how much of a burden that, you know, actively, even yeah. what response she makes. Like, does she give some money to, like, any black person she sees? Does she pick an organization? <laughs> does she, you know, uh, you, you know what I'm saying? Does she donate, her, you know, her kidneys to, to, to black some, people? Some level like, of reconciliation. What, co- yeah. what causation? And I yeah. guess this is the same question we have with representa- reparations, but I'm speaking yeah. specifically to that person and anybody in that woman's family because I know it has to loom over their whole family like a black cloud because they've been hiding her and moving her from state to state for years. And that's the type of secret to me that probably yeah. your approach I would be more down with. But the minute she dies, I don't know what that family does now. I think, again, so I don't know where the, you know, don't speak ill of the dead thing came from. If it's like an omen type of thing or like bad juju, whatever it is. I don't know. I really don't. I'm saying it's hard for people to reconcile me, ma. Yeah. So my grandma, my dear, whoever, mm. with some calculated, crazy person who made sure that they lied to get their way, right? Or to get up to make something happen that was ill intended, right? Ill intent, trauma, death came from what she did. So this is this person here. But she's also this person to me and because we I think we've been conditioned to associate so much in title <laughs> versus what the actual part who the actual person is like how much have we taken time to get to know some of our family members who have these designated titles outside of this is my grandmother this is my uncle mm-hmm. like I couldn't tell you half of what my uncles did and you know what I'm saying? In the 70s. And you know what? You probably don't Because I know. haven't, I haven't, and is that, I probably do. Like, see, I would I sit there and where, have that conversation. Okay. And a lot of people, and I'm not going to air out everything or nothing like that. I'm just saying. So I have had a conversation with one of my particular family members that everybody assumes. You mm-hmm. have, the assumption levels are great, I think, in a lot you, of families. You got that right. People have so many preconceived mm-hmm. notions and assumptions about who this person was, and they were just as raggedy as the, the person that you hate but I, the I, most. And I'm just saying this because when you don't know how they got to where they are, yeah. and you never ask the questions. Like, I had a conversation with my mom about this family member, and she was like, why are you always making stuff up? Or what? That doesn't, I 
was there. I stayed right here and I knew this. I seen this person all the time. I knew it. I seen when it happened. No, you never heard it from her mouth. She's like, oh, she had a job. She ain't never worked. She had three jobs. How about okay. that? <laughs> like, okay. So, okay. So, like, here go I the classic. to her. Here go the classic one. And this happens in a lot of families. I think in black families, it's, it's easier to recognize than yeah. maybe in other families. But, like, it may happen in white families, too. But, like, we've all seen, like, the family photos where, you know, at the yeah. funeral where it's like, okay, grandma is, like, uncle dark skin, uncle dark skin, yeah, aunt dark skin, this aunt light skin. What was happening right here? Yeah, yeah. You know what I'm saying? That's a that's a classic one. And it's like, yeah. to me, if granddad, you know, because this is, I think, culturally things happen like that. And mm-hmm. and that's in my family on both sides in certain ways. I think it's a common in many families where yeah. it's like, I know that ain't my baby, but granddad be like, you know what? It's my baby. You know what I'm saying? Because I probably Again. got another kid across town or whatever. It, the dynamics... It just it happened, and and I'm saying that we when I go on to biology more than what it actually is. The person who raised you is your daddy, and that's where I'm saying like that's them type of truths where it's like, well, you know, I didn't get as much this and da 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 da. That led to this, and da. it gives context to certain yeah, things. Yeah, but some of them context, I feel like okay, all of that stuff happened in the 50s. Yeah. So right now, 2022, Kari Frazier's like, hey, that story at the funeral, I'm gonna be playing with the kids. Y'all can be having the whole that discussion. That, and you that's gonna be said, that's at the big fair. folks table and I'm gonna be over with the kids. But I, I don't think it's fair to nuggets. characterize that as the victim's table though. I know I said You're, the big oh, folks. Oh, I'm sorry, the big folks. I'm sorry. Okay, so the big folks table, even yeah. that characterization is like, okay, now those are the people who have the burden of dealing with it, right? Yeah. You have this experience of this person. So even if these people are at this table, right? Mm-hmm. You've already Release that and like, okay, you hold that burden. I don't, it's not for me to carry, right? And that's still fair. That's why I said it's fair. However, this is the person that you still interact with. Regardless of the person that harmed them or hurt them is deceased. Yeah. This is the person that is here that you're choosing to still have relationship with, right? Mm -hmm. Now, if you don't have a relationship with them, again, okay, maybe that would be to me in my process of thought would be like, okay, well, why? What, what, What do you need to know all of that for? What what does that information then do for you if you're not trying to have a relationship with that person? But if this person at this big folks table is your close aunt that you've developed a relationship with, you really just don't know her story because you're not trying to see her. But not only that you're not trying to see her, and this again my perspective, the you not you don't want to see the person that you knew to her that harmed her. And, 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 and you don't want to see them in that way. Yeah, and, and I agree. And it's like one of those weird things because, like, even with my grandmother, um, different relationship. She mm-hmm. was retired. My maternal grandmother. She was yeah. retired. So the amount of time she spent with me and my big sister Dar was completely different than all the other grandkids. So, mm-hmm. like, like, and I assume this is like that for a lot of grandparents. Like, if you have a working grandparent versus a retired grandparent, you're going to have a whole different type of grandparent relationship. Yes. You know what I'm saying? That relationship is going to characterize the whole get down differently. You know what I'm saying? You know, that that grandparent that wake up and pick you up from school and just, like, basically they can set their that whole life up around grandparent. Right. Whereas but that if, parent yes. to your to your parent is a whole different is person. a whole different yeah. person and i think we we socialize it and we we laugh about it but 
the level of trauma that still is there is not always about being physically uh, beaten or like molested. It's, it's, it's greater than a lot of those things. It's the emotional impact that comes with that. So like for our generation, our I'm going to speak for myself, my parents and their parents, so my grandparents treated, there, there was a certain level of treatment that came along with being a girl or a boy, mm-hmm. right? Okay, and a this certain is, level wait, of responsibility. Out, out, let me say this. This is a discussion that happens every Thanksgiving at my family household. <laughs> I'm pretty sure many other households, but continue. <laughs> but a certain, it's a certain level of responsibility that grandmother attributes mm-hmm. to the girl children versus the boy children. Mm-hmm. And why the boy, boy children are still allotted way more grace, mm-hmm. and I'm just, I'm just going to keep it general, allotted a lot more grace than the girl children, mm-hmm. right? They're a little bit harder on the girl children because it's so many different things that they know. But I think it comes from them being a woman too, though, right? Like, you know it, you know how to experience it, and you know how to render and rear for a girl, maybe not so much as a boy. So all of the grace and passes that you give over here, subconsciously you don't understand it because you're trying to give that over to the man to do. But in those generations, because that was a, a heightened period of what we talked about really early on, you coming up from somewhere, you're you're being tra- you're transplanting yourself somewhere else. So it's a different rule, it's a different vision, it's a different experience. So can we really focus on those things right now because we're too busy trying to navigate, trying to be in this new place, in this new space, right? Like it's early 50s. I got to deal with keeping a job, doing all these other things. But then also, too, I still need to make sure all of the focus is on this family. But I still got to go out there and work still, too, now, right? Like it's not the same traditional setup as it was for my great-grandparents where mm-hmm. – you know, it was maybe, you know, housewife more or less mm-hmm. in that in those spaces where my grandmother became gradually. She fell out of the housewife to the working wife. Mm-hmm. So now you got working wife, working husband. And now that changes and shifts the family dynamics, too, I believe. Right. I wasn't there. But in terms of like stories and experience, I saw the differences in treatment mm-hmm. of my mom and her brothers, you know what I'm saying? And then I think it was even a little bit harder because my mom was the only girl. And then she has these three other brothers, you know what I'm saying? And her, sometimes, you know, sometimes from outside looking in, it's like, okay, they can do no wrong. Or why are you always harder on me? And I'm the one doing all of the things here and they're not, they're not doing anything. But it could be vice versa. It could be the the male children, they're always doing it. Everything, like you said, your uncles went out, you know, they yeah. built the house, right? Like mm-hmm. they knew what, what time it was and they were going to go do it. And they made sure they stepped up and did what they were asked to do. And it's not always, I don't think it's always that in that space. So the long and short of that is it, it, the treatment for the the girls and the boys in that time was totally different, I think. And the expectation was a little bit different. I, I think even to this day. And I, it's I still, think, uh, and it's, it's trying I, to yeah. wrap back around to some of those values of like, what do you, ex- what are the levels of expectation around um, women and men, even yeah. in, in the space of working wife, working husband, right? I mean, but. And reality, contribution and all of that stuff. When we look at our community and, and, and the amount of um, unmarried homes, like, I mean, that's really yeah. the premise of one of my favorite John Singleton movies off but the premise of Baby Boy yeah. is this whole concept of 
a mother like making a pseudo like almost like pseudo not sexual but like relationship with their son it, it existing in in this interesting dynamic like it's layers to that movie yeah. that reflect on so, so many. many yeah um so many common spaces and places for black folks yeah. and then it almost becoming cyclical and repeating yeah. in in Jody or Tyrese's characters like yeah. as well like right. as it carries on in this story like the narrative of that is how women baby the boys and they treat them a little bit the way more. society may treat this black man exactly so then you create the black man that you probably feel as though is not manly enough to take care of his responsibilities or feels entitled to certain ways of, or expectations to being taken care of and not having to provide or not having to do yeah. certain things that maybe was once more common and more like the, you know, 50s, 60s, whatever it was. Um, and not to say that that was always like the underlying truth. Right. Yeah. Like it's probably pretty plenty of families in that during that time period where the father just went to work came home sat down didn't do anything else. <laughs> whereas now there's a little bit more expectation or maybe level of contribution from like working fathers and mothers like you know don't sign me up for double duty i gonna pay and work <laughs> you know what i'm saying like we're gonna we're gonna have to find a way to, to split this balance and split the baby or something like that like it's it could be a little bit more cyclical. Yes, a lot of people still have those levels of values and not to say that they're wrong at all. Like if you have a certain way of being or a certain level of expectation and how you are focused on family and how you want to build your family, I think, you know, again, that comes along with building that healthy relationship. Do you see the world the same way? Do you still have the same values? Do you have the same perspective? And it doesn't have to be exactly the same. But it should be something that is closely aligned enough so that you can, again, stay on mission. Do what you need to do to to do life together and progress. Like, you stagnate yourself with other things and things, you know, people change, ideas change, thoughts change, circumstances change. We just had a whole pandemic. That could throw a whole lot of people off of their square and their mission of what they were intended to do before. And now they're on a new mission or maybe their their mission is altered. They have a, you know, reroute or whatever it is. Mm-hmm blessings to everybody who can do all of those things and still be in those spaces and be um, partnered with somebody who knows that's what it is. It's not, it's, it's, it's continuous movement because we are together and we know the understanding of what that togetherness means for us because we have the same value. We started off knowing, hopefully knowing like who we are and how we're, how we're going to be. I can be happy in these spaces. I can be productive in these spaces. I can do this. You know what I'm saying? Like, I know these things about myself. So then when I need to partner with somebody, I know how to, you know, help navigate all of those different pieces of like, okay, so you need this right now. Okay, I got that. Or, you know what I'm saying? I need this from you. Wow. And need is a strong word. And I... I, I don't, you know what I'm saying, I have a lot of people who go back and forth with me on, like, me. Yes, you do need somebody. <laughs> like, Well, I'm a, I, we, we bringing you back. Yeah. We bringing you back. <laughs> I, back. I, I gotta, okay. I got to give you the classic Detroit is different questions now mm-hmm. because you've you given a lot of game in this. And it's interesting. <laughs> I definitely don't have the answers to a lot of this stuff I'm asking because I think that same, your relationship with yourself, your relationship with family, business, coworkers, uh, yeah. your neighbors, like, relationships we're, we're communal like we as yeah. people we're social we we need we thrive in spaces with people hence where social media comes but yeah. it also you know needs a balance 
So classic yeah. Detroit is different questions. Okay. <laughs> Your very first car, year making model, and what year did you get it? I was getting money. Uh, <laughs> 99 Pontiac Grand Am. <laughs> okay. What year? Uh, I got it in uh, 2000. Okay. All right. So, yeah, it was fresh. All right. Yeah. No, my parents was getting money then. No, I'm joking. Nope, nope. <laughs> no right. yeah. They so, bought it from Enterprise and, uh, yeah, it was okay. a red Pontiac Grand Dam. Where was the first place you went when you got it? Work. Oh, okay. <laughs> Wow. Ain't that something? Where were you working? Because I still had the responsibility. They paid for the car. I paid for the insurance. Okay. Where was you working? Randazzles. Oh, man. Okay. In Roseville. <laughs> oh, okay. You didn't work at the one in the hood. I was there today. Nope, not the one in the hood. I worked at the one on, uh, yeah, out in Roseville. I can't even remember the name of the street right now, but either way, yeah. I got held up at a train. Pure e <laughs> Yeah. Not the one off of Van Dyke. Yes. No. Yeah. The one across the street from the 007. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. It's like, wow. Not that like, one. It's like oh. you can get produce and then at night it turns crazy. Yes. Very much so. Um, you're the DJ. The end of the fireworks, Woodward and Jefferson. You get to play three songs. What songs are you playing? Ooh. I don't know. It's probably going to be something Drake. Everybody likes Drake music. He has a lot of, like, So what hits. songs? I don't know. I don't know names of songs like that, to be honest with you. Uh... I don't know. I don't know the names of, like, songs. I probably would just, like, search Drake top songs and then just play something oh, like okay. that. Yeah. Like, that's something I feel like everybody probably likes. Or I'm had, gonna, like... I'm play Jumpman and Hotline Bling. <laughs> <laughs> they know it. Yeah, Have fun with it. All right. <laughs> you can rename Woodward after one D Trader. Who is it and why? Oh, that's a hard one. Uh... Ooh. Dang. Gil Scott Heron. I like his music. Ah. And his thoughts and ideas and theories too. Okay. Yeah. We almost lost Detroit. There we yeah. go. Shout yep. out. Shout out him. Yeah. Uh definitely. Definitely. What's yep. the word? Johannesburg. A lot of stuff. Friend of yes. the great and my homie Jessica Care Moore. So, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. For sure. I'll definitely shout that out. Yeah. So I don't know how people, I don't know what you want on your lower thirds if people gonna follow <laughs> up, get you engaged and glow again or whatever, you know, perspective. Uh, how you want to lead people to part and shot, get in contact with you? Oh, um, betterdetroityouthmovement.org. Okay. Um, that's uh, where you can go in terms of like helping and supporting. We're still doing a lot of that stuff, but. Yeah, to even get back into the schools and do, like, other mentoring programs, mm -hmm. um, yeah, reach out. So there we're we here. Go. We're still we're still um, in it, in the space of moving and, you know, again, finding out where it makes most sense for us to help and support, especially coming out of this, this time of the pandemic, especially education, you know, academically, making sure students are sound and supported and they're really progressing where they need to, to be to get to that next level. So, yeah. Yep. BetterDetroitYouth.org. That's what's up. Yep. Thank you so much. Yes, sir. Peace. Black revolutionaries, distillery owners, Italian fashion retailers, and Motown Grammy winners all share their best stories never before told in any other media outlets on Detroit is Different. 
Visit DetroitIsDifferent.com or download the Detroit Is Different app on Apple's App Store or Google's Play Store.